Hey guys, welcome back to This Week on the Alt-Right. Uh, today we have a special guest, Squatting Slav. We're not going to do intros today because I think you're all familiar with who the other panel members are. If you want to find out where their links are, their channels, social media, etc., it's all in the description. So I'll throw it over to my co-host, Mark Collette, now. Hello, everyone. It's great to have you back. It's great to be here for another episode of This Week on the Alt-Right. And as you know, we've got a very special guest tonight. We've got Ivan, the squatting Slav, who's got a wonderful YouTube channel. I'm sure most of you will be subbed to him. I hope most of you have subbed him already. And if not, I'm sure you will at the end of the show because his content is absolutely top-notch. Now, just a little bit of housekeeping before we introduce him. As ever, We'll be taking questions and answers. It'll be a two-hour show. The first hour, as always, we'll discuss topics and we'll be doing a special show here where we talk to Ivan about his work and interview him. But we will also be doing the question and answers in the second hour. So anyone that wants to ask a question, please put it in the chat. Please tag it to my name so I see it and I will make a list of questions and we'll move on to those in the second half. So without further ado, here is our special guest, Slav. He does some fantastic work on the internet. I've been watching his channel for a long time and personally he produces, I think he produces some of the best videos out there and one thing I really love to see about his channel is when he turns up at these Antifa events, when he turns up at pro-immigration events and literally looking at the fear in their eyes when he stares them down and confronts them with the truth because we all know what the left are like. Shining the truth on the left is like shining sunlight on a vampire, and it works absolutely superbly. And to see them cringing is absolutely wonderful. It's the kind of thing that gives you that morale boost. It fills your heart with joy to see these people on the back foot. And he's got 125,000 subscribers, and they are deserved subscribers as well, because he really is taking the fight to the enemy. So without further ado, hello, Ivan. How have you been, and uh, what have you been up to? Hey Mark, uh, I've been great. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for having me on the show. It's a great pleasure to be here with all these wonderful people and uh, all these people that I you know, follow on a daily basis. Um, otherwise, I've been great. Uh, I've been reporting on a wide variety of topics recently, uh, including the migrant crisis in uh, Europe when I was there. And uh, I'm, I'm back in Canada right now. I've sort of taken interest in the entire situation that's currently happening with the uh, white farmers in South Africa that, uh, that really hasn't been breaching the mainstream at all. Very, very serious issue um, that's, uh, that's been going on down there, you know, for the past couple of decades. So that's, that's sort of my focus right now. And, you know, generally I'm sort of trying to uh, move away from the SJW side of YouTube and sort of dwell on more serious topics. I have noticed that a lot of your videos have got more political. I mean, at first they were really good entertainment, but you've started doing some excellent videos. I saw the white South African video and also your expose of Red Pill Black. I thought they were both excellent videos and really, really worth watching. But there's something I wanted to ask you because back in my um, early days um, of political activism, we often used to have quite a bit of confrontation with the left wing. We used to get into sort of 
a few scrapes with them. And you obviously go out there, and I've seen you at these Antifa rallies, I've seen you at the promulgation rallies, and it takes a lot of guts to go out there, a lot of guts to go out there and confront these people and stare them in the face. And you do it without any reserve. You go out there, you stare them in the face, and you literally look completely calm, completely cool, and you never ever lose your composure, regardless of their activity. And we've often talked on this show before about self-improvement, specifically about confidence, and, and how being confident allows you to achieve your goals. And, and when you see your behavior, when you see the way you approach issues, there's that undeniable confidence at the center of you. You are totally at ease with who you are. And I think the viewership would like to know how you go about this and sort of how you confront these people in such a way and what gives you that incredible confidence. Absolutely. Uh, before I start speaking, I just want to make sure, are you guys able to hear me okay? It's sounding, it's sounding a little bit better now, so. Okay, um, excellent. Well, essentially, I mean, when I, you know, when I started going to uh, all of these protests back in February of 2017, I quickly noticed that all of the snowflakes there were, were very skinny, you know, they had blue hair, the guys were completely feminized uh i couldn't even tell who the girls were or if they were even girls you know they were all cowards they couldn't look you in the eyes when they spoke to you so i mean i quickly realized that you know i wasn't facing an army of spartans i was essentially going up you know against armies of snowflakes so you know i'm i'm a pretty tall guy as well like i'm i'm six four and when i approach these people i really have no fear and i've dealt with you know, masses of Antifa members as well, and I've really had no fear because, uh, you know, if, if things come down to it, I will absolutely defend myself, my cameraman as well. So uh, this has never been an issue. Now, the second thing is that in Canada, Antifa is uh, pretty weak. You know, they're not like the German or Eastern European Antifa that will bash your head in with a spite club. So that's also a big difference. But once again, at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to put yourself in these situations, you need to be able to handle these situations uh, and, you know, de-escalate problems and treat the problems accordingly, whether it's, you know, verbally or at the end of the day, uh, you know, physically. And that's what I tell a lot of these people, you know, they go out to these protests and then they complain that they were hit or assaulted by Antifa well, you know what, you're going out there yourself, getting in their face, provoking them, what do you expect? At the end of the day, it is kind of like a war zone. It's you versus them. Well, somebody's just asked about, um, in the comment section, do you do any fight training? What is your physical regime? Are you a boxer or do you do any MMA? Uh, no, I've never, I mean, in, throughout my life, you know, I've been in a few fights, definitely. I've never really taken on any uh, sort of martial arts or anything. I, I'm at the gym. I know, like, just as you are, Mark. Uh, I'm at the gym, you know, a week, uh, doing mainly calisthenics or, you know, weighted calisthenics uh, and, and, you know, sort of 
sort of just push and pull based exercises. So that's that's my training regimen. And of course, as you know, as a kid and growing up, I was always enrolled in various sports, whether it was football, uh, basketball, and all these things. So I've always remained active, and I definitely think that that's you know that's a big plus for for anyone growing up is is being active, putting yourself out there, you know, putting on some muscle, exploring your physical capabilities instead of staying at home, you know, in your mother's basement and watching anime, you know, with a with a box of tissues and some baby soap, right? So now that's certainly good advice and it's certainly something we've discussed here before. I mean I did a video on depression this week and how I believe that the best way to get rid of your depression, the best way to overcome issues in your life is to improve yourself and seek success. And I know that's something that Stephen Franson pushes heavily as well. He's somebody who's all about the self-improvement. Now, moving on to other things, I've noticed your sort of political journey over the years. And as you said, you started to get more political and you're, you're certainly, you know, a nationalist and you seem very proud of that. You seem proud of the fact that you're standing for your people. And that's fantastic. But over the time when you've been doing that, and uh, obviously over your political journey, have you noticed an increase in YouTube censorship? Because I, I did notice that you had produced a video recently on YouTube's new policies. How has your channel experienced uh, YouTube censorship? And how is that going to sort of alter your output in the future? Or are you potentially thinking about putting your content up on other sites? Or are you sticking with YouTube? So I went completely emo when you asked about this because this is something that uh, that has really been affecting my channel um, in the last uh, couple of months. Um, as many of you guys out there know, I've told the story a million times, but as many of you guys know, uh, my channel was actually heated off of YouTube uh, completely for about three and a half weeks this last summer. And this was due to the fact uh, that I had accumulated three completely bogus community guideline strikes uh on top of this uh this was all happening at the time when youtube was shifting its algorithms and uh, also uh parallel to this i had people massively channel as well and i i, I know that this is something that's affecting Ta uh, tara's channel right now as well so it's a it's a huge problem now, uh, in, in the past, in the past few weeks, actually, the censorship has get, been getting really bad. When I, after I released the Las Vegas video, I had bigger news sources. I had USA Today message me uh, and BuzzFeed as well. And they were asking me about my Las Vegas video and how it had gained so many views. Essentially, even asking me about the content of the video but rather about the analytics of it you know how come it was getting so many views did i think it was okay to put these kind of videos up this and that and then shortly after this we learned that youtube was in fact uh rigging and altering the algorithms against uh quote unquote independent news channels and uh, that's when i really started to see a drastic change in my views you know i i I've, i'm getting uh you know maybe views i used to get uh right now and it's 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 very troubling i'm not you know i'm not appearing in the recommended list for people a lot of people aren't getting my notifications tons of people were unsubscribed from my channel automatically so it's quite worrisome and when i bring these issues up to youtube they sort of keep uh running me in a circle and looping me
Steve, did you have a question? Yeah, uh, Ivan, I wanted to sort of query you a bit and, and understand what types of leftists you find are the easiest to deal with and then what types of leftists are the hardest to deal with and how you sort of employ strategies to address both of those ends of the spectrum. Well, you know, it's funny, but uh, it's, I mean, from my experience, especially at these, at these rallies and at these protests, difficult to uh, to discriminate where people stand on the political spectrum especially on the left because you know they they come to these uh, rallies sort of the a plethora of topics plethora of issues as well they're never really there protest or address one issue but it's always multiple issues you know if you show up at a Black Lives Matter rally, LGBTQZ, you know, and a million other letters and numbers that come after. And then there's also going to be, you know, people protesting in the intervention in Syria, people doing this and people doing that. So it's very hard for me to discriminate who I'm dealing with at these rallies and sort of get a sense for their ideas. But the problem is that 95% of these people won't even engage with you. And they're actually told not to engage with you because they know that uh, any kind of discourse or any kind of discussion ultimately leads to them, their you know, ignorance being exposed and their demise. What kind of qualities do you want to see from newcomers to the alt-right, particularly the men who maybe want to do what you do, whether it be making videos or going out to these rallies? Uh, man up, be a man. That's that's all. That's all I can say. Is uh, you know, have a backbone. Stand behind the ideas and the values that you represent. Don't go back and forth. Uh, have an opinion. Take a stance. Uh, if you're going to, you know, just just be confident. Be a, a very well balanced human being. You know, uh, uh, read, but then also, you know, work your body, train your body, preserve your mind and your body at the same time. And uh, just stay connected with everyone as well. You know, we have a great network that's that's forming, and despite the demonization that we face, uh, you know, on the mainstream media. So stand against all of that. You know, have uh, have some confidence in in the things you say and the things you do. And from then on, you'll only start to see positive changes in your life and in the people around you as well. Um, out of kind of left field, I wanted to ask you what you think about uh, this whole, not just a Hollywood scandal with all the, uh, you know, rapists and pedos and everything, but also now we're starting to see them coming out in New York. Um, I don't know if you saw this morning, um, published in the Daily Mail, is I think it's, um, what's, it, what's the guy's name? Bear Stein or something like that. Um, he works with George Soros. He's an investment banker. And uh, apparently several different women who are all models from Florida are alleging that he has a dedicated rape dungeon in New York where he takes these models to rape them and beat them up. So it all seems to be coming out right now. Have you been following these kind of things, things like Pizzagate, Pedo, Hollywood, um, and also the other scandals and how they all seem to be interlinked and how they all seem to be people involved in what we call leftism and globalism uh yeah absolutely i mean the pizzagate uh, thing i was following essentially 
since the pre-election era, uh, you know, with with Hillary, when that uh, that whole thing broke the news. Um, when it comes to what's going on in Hollywood right now, uh, you know, especially with Harvey Weinstein and all these other people, uh, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I honestly believe that. Uh, I mean, we always knew that there was tons of pedophilia, Satanism, uh, and you know all this disgusting stuff that was going on. Uh, we knew this was going on for ages now, and you know it's funny that it's all of a sudden being exposed. I actually think that the whole Weinstein scandal is actually a distraction from the entire, uh, you know, Vegas narrative that the mainstream media is presenting to us. So conveniently, all of this came at the time when we were raising new questions about the Vegas narrative, you know, when, when these witnesses were being found dead, and at the time when, you know, people were saying and speculating that there were, you know, multiple shooters involved in Las Vegas. So conveniently, this came as a perfect distraction. Um, now, I believe that we're going to keep on finding out pedophiles and these sick Satanists are as we keep digging and as people keep coming forward. My main issue with all of this, however, is the fact that, you know, all these women and all these models, they wait all these years to come out and and uh, state these allegations against these people. What the hell were they doing 10, 20 years ago? Island. Like, does it have to, do we have to have a hashtag trending for people to, you know, grow the balls to come out and speak about these things? Uh, yeah. I think the answer to that might be yes, actually, <laughs> if that's the way it seems, because um, I think a lot of these men were particularly powerful, and as we've seen, many of these women suddenly getting arrested on drugs charges and things like that, and it's almost as though they are, um, these particular men are like, you know, in league with the police and everything, <laughs> so it's pretty dodgy stuff. I, I, yeah, I can understand why they might be too scared to speak out about it. Um, so I think that's plausible, but hey, I was just adding that in. Yeah, and their careers would be threatened instantly. I mean, if they speak whatsoever, they they can have their entire lives destroyed. If these guys are rich, they're powerful, they have friends with the police, like Tara said. They can make it look like they're on drugs and they're crazy and pretty much destroy their lives. So I'm sure there's a little bit of that that goes on. I'm sure part of it for some of them is maybe cowardice. But a lot of these girls, they just have no power in this situation at all. I agree with that. I think obviously the women are in a bad situation. They lack power. But one thing that that that's the case for some of them. But I think there's also a quite a lot of duplicity in some cases too. Especially when you see people like Ashley Judd and Madonna. These people knew what was going on. These people are meant to be feminists. These people are people with huge amounts of money. They've got a huge following and they're people who constantly attack Donald Trump, they're people who constantly attack those on the right and they constantly paint anyone with who is patriotic right through to nationalistic as you know some misogynistic beast who wants to enforce the patriarchy across all women then all of a sudden we find out these women have been covering up the worst abuses but the reason they're covering up those abuses is because it's fellow Democrats, fellow leftists, fellow Hollywood producers, and most notably, you know, 
a man like Harvey Weinstein, and we know why they covered up what he was doing. I am pretty sure there is a huge ethnic component to this. I am sure they covered this up to protect him because of his ethnicity. These people run Hollywood. These people have a huge amount of power. To quote Nigel Farage, they have a disproportionate amount of lobbying power in America. Yes, Nigel Farage, the absolute madman, came out and said it. I don't know what he was on that day. I mean, he really did overpill, over, sorry, overdose on his uh, red-colored vitamins that morning. But, you know, that was fantastic. And this is all coming out now. And I believe Weinstein was protected because People don't want the truth about these people coming out. And now look, you've got Kevin Spacey, you've got Brett Ratner. How deep does the rabbit hole go? And how many of these self-styled feminist warriors have been protecting the, uh, the Jewish directors and really the, the big power players in Hollywood? And the funny thing with Kevin Spacey is, all of the people working with him on House of Cards are now coming out and saying, Oh, he was a predator and he was touching everyone on set and he was harassing them all. And he was, you know, people were waking up after a nap to found he was, you know, he was lying on top of them. But none of these people said anything before. They were all protecting him because they all wanted to climb this greasy pole and protect the Hollywood glitterati, the people running the show. And I want to see, it's funny, his show's called The House of Cards, because I want to see Hollywood come down like a house of cards. I want the whole thing smashed to pieces. And I want every one of these slime balls exposed for what they are. Because I was saying just a few weeks ago that you can draw a definitive comparison between the Muslim groomers and those running the porn industry. And now you can actually take that and say, it's not just the ones running the porn industry who are in on this filth. It's the ones running Hollywood. And there is a massive link between the two. Because remember, for every girl that makes it in Hollywood, there might be dozens, if not hundreds, who don't make it, who are pushed into seedy bars, who are pushed into strip clubs, who are pushed into the porn industry. White girls, our sisters, who are being abused by these monsters and used as essentially first world sex slaves. And it is disgusting. And we need to tear that whole thing down. Right, and if the price to get a, a leading role in Hollywood is to, you know, suck off Harvey Weinstein or something like this, then basically you're you're a glorified prostitute. So, and then then this ethnic component, I mean, people sort of they want to sort of jump into radical individualism and go, well, not all Jews and all this sort of thing. We have to understand that. Well, Laura Loomer said this herself, and she's very Jewish. She said there is a Muslim, there is Jewish gangsters running Hollywood. So what? We know. And it was one of these things to establish that, look, they are Jewish, they're gangsters, they're running Hollywood. And as Kevin McDonald would like to point out, and the thing he tells you to look for is, do they themselves identify what they're doing as serving Jewish interests? And if so, it is a Jewish ethnocentric thing that they're doing. So they may as well be seeing this grooming of the Goyim women in Hollywood as serving their purposes and their hegemony. So this is something we have to look out for. We can't just buy into the, you know, the individuals come along, oh, no, not all, not all Jews, oh, watch out, you know. We have to really look at them skeptically and go, well, are they acting in what they perceive to be as Jewish interests or not? That is the real question. So they're going to be fall guys. I mean, let's, Matt Damon came out, he's trying to be a fall guy. 
There are going to be other people that are going to be fall guys, and I think they're going to be goyim. Well, kind of moving slightly away from the specifically Jewish uh, aspect, I suppose. But for pretty much, um, you know, all of all of Western history, um, women who took part as actresses, as models, that was just synonymous with being a prostitute. There was like no difference. If you go to a lot of these, I used to go to a lot of like art museums in the UK and a lot of the uh, older ones, um, they'll have all these, you know, paintings of naked women and everything, um, which today we might look at and be like, oh, wow, what a beautiful painting. But they were literally hired prostitutes who they hired to like lie there in that specific pose to be painted. But nowadays, um, like being the, the naked woman getting photographed is apparently like the highest status symbol, you know, that Kim Kardashian's been, <laughs> been chasing after. So something's definitely changed in our perception of uh, how, how this all works, because it used to be just understood that those women are prostitutes, they, you know, they're practically untouchable, they're dirty, men don't really want to be um, publicly associated with them. And something changed. I don't know if it was around the 40s or maybe it was even in the 20s, but something there definitely changed. I think a lot of what caused that change was potentially social media, where uh, girls are doing this all the time. They're filming themselves and look at these cute leggings that I bought and they're skin tight and you could see every single curve of their bum and see the camel toe. So women are doing this to themselves and it's been completely normalized and guys love watching that stuff. No one's really policing it. So the standards have fallen considerably. But I will go, I was going to make a point about the, the Jewish thing or that ethnic component real quick. One thing that I have noticed is that a lot of these actresses always go on about the white patriarchy, the white patriarchy, and I just want to know if they're going to blame all these actors and these producers who are going to get slammed in the future as white patriarchy or if it's going to wake them up to the fact that no, this is particularly a Jewish thing. And a lot of the Jews in Hollywood think of these young Goyish women, or what do they call them, Shiksa, something like that. Think of them as just not being human. They are subhuman, they, therefore they are okay for the taking and can be taking taken advantage of. So you see that all the time. We're gonna hear that a lot in the news of people talking about these the, the, the harassment scandals going on in Hollywood, and they're going to be calling it out as white patriarchy, white patriarchy. And I just wonder how many of them are going to make the connection between all these people. I must say, I, I just want to raise the point again. This was um, absolutely fantastic, the point uh, both Brie and uh, Stephen made about the issue to do with Facebook. And these people have been sort of tied up in this world that's been pushed by whores like Kim Kardashian. I mean, she is absolutely foul as well. She is someone that I don't understand why anyone likes. That behind is just grotesque. And I think that, again, the media push her because they're pushing an insidious agenda to make white women turn into that. Well, here's my thing, right? Don't. Now, I know people in the chat might say, well, you know, you're not married. You don't have a girlfriend. You know what? I'd rather be single for the rest of my life than be with Kim Kardashian. She is foul. And I'll tell you this. Genuine attention is a good thing i.e. a man bringing you flowers, a man taking you out for dinner, a man complimenting on your looks. But if you're out there 
and you're showing everything on Facebook and turning yourself into some social media cattle market and all for likes and shares, that is not positive attention. That is bad. And the fact that the media have done this to our women, oh my God, it is absolutely disgusting. And I've seen this. I've seen women who actually suffer from you know, depression. I've seen women who actually, they are not happy in their lives and they live for putting their lives on Facebook, but only snapshots of their lives. So it's like, oh my God, I went to Harvester for the early bird, two for one saver. I better put it on Facebook like I've been to the best restaurant in the world. And you're like, why does it need to go on Facebook? Why do you need to show everyone what you ate? Why do you need to constantly try and make your life look like you're keeping up with the Kardashians? You know what? The best things in life share on Facebook. They're things you share with your loved ones with real human interactions. And that's one of the reasons people are so depressed these days because they're trying to compete with people in this false world of likes and shares. And they're not actually living their lives for the things that matter. And to be honest, you know, I think we've talked about the abuse of these women. We've talked about the abuse in the porn industry. One of the biggest abuses of our people are turning them into these grotesque attention whores who will just do anything for people to look at them on social networks. What a soulless and awful thing to become. And personally, you know, the people running these social networks, they are the enemies of the West. Well, and this is all very hard on women. I was reading my World War II history, as I want to do on, on an often basis. And, uh, you know, the Allies put their women into factories and into labor a lot sooner than the Axis did. And that's because the Axis leaders went, well, our women are slender and they're delicate. They're not these squat Russian women that can be, you know, plugged into factories and, and just do all this work. And so we want to honor our women and we want to say, we don't want you going into these tanning booths that give you cancer. We don't want you slaving away to get a big booty. Uh, you need to be building up your mind and building up your skills in order to be lovable women. So this is all a, a big sort of shift that, that dishonors women. We have to fight back against these narratives that want to turn America into West Africa. Uh, absolutely. And um, I think, you know, this entire uh, sort of wave of hypersexualization uh, sort, of, uh, sort of emerged as well. 50s and 60s, obviously, with the with the uh, Jewish uh, Frankfurt schools and, uh, you know, third wave feminism as well. And uh, obviously this has did every single industry, including Hollywood. So everything is hypersexualized. I mean, can you think of one major Hollywood film nowadays that, you know, doesn't have uh, some kind of sex scene in it? You can't. So it's... It's com it's completely hypersexualization has completely become the norm, and we're seeing this on on every other social network as well. You know, now nowadays you have all these, uh, you know, models on Instagram who are basically just basic thoughts taking photos for some perverted photographer, and this transcends much deeper, as we said, uh, you know, into into industries such as Hollywood, where you have these, uh, you know, prominent Jewish uh, directors, 
especially these goyim shiksas who are just there for their abuse and their pleasure. Well, uh, one time when I was uh, researching psychopaths and serial killers, you know, it's kind of a, a sideline interest I have. Um, I was researching the theory of whether these people are born or whether they're made. And basically one of the top uh, serial killer profilers uh, was in an interview, he was saying, well, it does appear, you know, there's obviously genetic propensity um, that different people have, but it does appear that it, this kind of drive toward being abusive, being a serial killer, acting in a certain way, um, could be triggered by movies combining gore, horror, and sex, you know, in rapid succession. And um, he actually spoke to a number of these uh, Hollywood producers and said, look, there's some decent evidence that this is actually uh, inspiring uh, serial killers or causing them to make this connection between violence, horror, and sexual arousal. And you probably shouldn't be doing this. But he said they just continue doing it. So uh, it does make you wonder uh, how much um, influence these movies really have on people. And um, yeah, whether they really either, whether they're just indifferent about the danger and the damage that they're causing with these kinds of movies, where, like you say, you're watching a horror movie and it opens with a sex scene. Like the number of times that happens, it's just like ridiculous. Why does it have to open with a sex scene? I mean, Brie is, an, is a fiction author. I'm sure she knows about this, how they just catch people's attention with sex scenes every five minutes when it's completely got nothing to do with the actual plot of the movie. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, Mark or Brie, you want to talk about this? Yeah, I, I've seen that in several scripts. I used to... Uh take a screenwriting course when I was at university and uh, there were a number of people who started out their stories with like a scene of masturbation or opening up, I have seen movies, one in particular, can't think of the name, I know it had Eva Mendes and Joaquin Phoenix in it, where it opened up with him having his hand between her legs and I just found that repulsive and even the actress has told her family, wait 20 minutes from the beginning before you go and watch the movie because she was embarrassed by it and I'm just thinking, well why would you film that? Why would you film something your family couldn't even go see and they couldn't enjoy? That How low are your standards for yourself that you would do that? And we see, I've seen these standards go down and down and down over the years and I didn't start really thinking about it too clearly until I was coming around to being red-pilled. The standard for violence when I was a kid was video games. They used to always say, oh, these kids that play these really violent video games, they're, they're going to go out and commit school shootings. And at the time, I was like, that's ridiculous. But then we saw gore in movies getting to be just as gory as some of these games. And I'll admit, it, I love some of those games growing up, still do. But uh, there was definitely a standard that just got lower and lower and lower as I grew up. And... When I was a kid, my parents would just say, no, you can't watch this scene, and they would cover my eyes, blah, blah. But nowadays, it's like nothing for there to be a sex scene. And even if you don't see particular body parts, if it's implied, I can hardly think of any movies that have a PG-13 rating that aren't just full of it. I agree with that, and I want to add a little something to this. Um, I've watched quite a few documentaries on crime. I like true crime documentaries, and uh, 
uh, I probably watched the the majority of true crime documentaries out there actually because I, I I used to love I don't really like television but I, I do like the Discovery Channel and I do enjoy documentaries and I just want to back up something Tara was saying there because it's a really important thing that she's raised here. Uh, I watched a documentary on uh, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and when they were discussing his killing spree. They talked about two components of his behavior when he was a child. They first talked about um, legitimate mental problems he had. I think he'd had several large traumas to the head. And, but they also said, on top of those legitimate mental issues, the thing that could have set him off was a series of grotesque images he saw. I believe it was his cousin who came back from Vietnam, and his cousin had been involved in quite a lot of brutality in Vietnam, and he'd tortured and murdered um, Vietnamese villagers, and he'd taken a Polaroid camera and captured, or some form of camera, and captured the, the photos, and he used those photos sort of showed them off to people what he'd done and he he basically showed the young Richard Ramirez these pictures and these pictures are obviously extremely violent extremely graphic and the particular profiler that was talking about Ramirez and the Ramirez case was saying these graphic images of violence um could well have been the things that triggered him and turned him from someone who was just slightly damaged to somebody who went on to being a serial killer. And that's very interesting what Tara said because they've constantly been um, wrapping, ramping up, sorry, not wrapping up, ramping up the violence in Hollywood. Now, I was watching a retrospective review, with it being Halloween, I was watching a retrospective review on some movies. Um, most notably Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. And it was over on, um, I, can't, actually, I think it was on Cinemassacre channel. And the guy who's reviewing them, the guy who's the, I think he's called the angry video game nerd, James Rolfe, he was showing scenes from the old Friday the 13th movies. And he was literally saying, these were so tame, the vast majority of the kills and the imagery were left on the cutting room floor. The American censors were like, no way, you're not, putting this in the film. And then he talked about the more modern films and the more modern revisions of these films and the, the remakes of um, the remake of Friday the 13th. And if you compare the gore back in the 80s to the gore now, it has just been ramped up to such an insane degree. And obviously we're living in a world where more and more people are mentally unhinged thanks to the society and thanks to the world we live in. And these people who are mentally unhinged are literally being fed a diet of extreme sex through pornography, extreme violence. And when I say extreme sex, I just want to touch on something here. Somebody asked the other week, and we didn't have time to um, answer this question, but it's a very good question. And it was, would you say that old-fashioned 1990s porn magazines are as bad for you as internet porn? I think we should promote softcore mags with white chicks from the 80s and 90s. Well, I won't be promoting any form of porn, so I disagree with that part of the question. But I think the, the person who asked the question made an extremely good point. Now, when I was a kid, you know, you, you, somebody on the bus would end up with a porn magazine and it would be extremely tame. It would be just like a pretty girl with her top off or, with, or naked on a bed. And if you compare that to what you see now, to what children on the school bus are watching now, graphic, hardcore, sadomasochism, bondage and abuse of women where like five or six guys might be abusing a woman. What effect is that having? on these young lads on the school bus. What mental problems is that causing to them?
And I find this absolutely horrifying. And you've got the violence, you've got the sex, and it's all being taken to an absolute extreme. And at the same time, people aren't out in nature. They're not spending time with their families. They're isolated. They're stuck in. They're just being bombarded by these images. And then they're sat there playing computer games constantly, playing often violent computer games as well. And then people say, oh, high school shootings are on the rise. Well, guns are harder to get hold of than they've ever been, but shootings are on the rise. Kids used to take their guns to school to do rifle club after school. Now you've got metal detectors in schools. And you've got to ask yourself, it's not gun control that we need. What we need is a return to traditional values and we need to smash Hollywood and smash the porn industry and get our kids back on a sensible diet of healthy morality and traditional values. Well, something I wanted to jump in and add is that I watched this film when, in 1999, when I was 13 years old, called 8mm. It starred Nicolas Cage, and I don't recommend anyone watch it. The basic premise was a private investigator is hired to discover if a snuff film is authentic or not. And they show this snuff film, and the filmmakers do their best job to make the snuff film seem authentic so that the private investigator is held in the thralls of this question of whether it is authentic or not. And it's Nicolas Cage, so you can surmise that a lot of fucked up shit happens in the film. And I remember watching this at age 13, and, you know, I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be cool and watch it with my friend because he was into films, and I wanted to watch the whole thing. And it started to dawn on me as I watched this film, and I started to feel the sickness of the people that made the film. I came to understand that, look, I'm in a basic condition of agreement with this film because I'm allowing myself to view it. And so to sort of tie into what Tara was saying with these, this combination of sex, horror, and gore, is that if you, if you view these materials and you just allow yourself to sit there and be with them, you are in a basic condition of agreement. And you really want to cut that out. I mean, you really want to be judicious as to what you're taking in because it will affect your empathy. It will affect your psychology. So uh, practice some, some abstinence is what I say. Also, to speak back as to what uh, Mark was saying as far as um, getting out there, getting out in nature, getting away from these type of things, I have heard that there have been a lot of gentlemen out there who used to be hardcore NFL fans that were watching the NFL every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, they'd plant their butt on the couch and not leave till that game was over. And I've actually seen, I think, it trending on Twitter and seen people talking about it where now, what are they doing? eating dinner with their family on a Sunday night and it brought their families closer together. So the more you get away from that religiosity of sports and movies, that's time that can be well spent with your family. Absolutely. I think the biggest problem uh, right now, especially uh, in the entertainment and the movie industry particularly, um, is sort of this phenomenon of desensitization. Because we know that, you know, if we gradually expose people uh, to, to something over time and then we increase, you know, the frequency or intensity of this, uh, eventually people will become conditioned to this and, you know, they'll no longer perceive this as, as something new or as, as a new stimuli. It'll, it'll uh, essentially just sort of uh, 
fade fade back and it'll be normalized to them so i think that's what's going on in hollywood right now you know if we once we introduce this hypersexualization and you know on top of that these images of gore and violence people people just stop caring you know they see uh they they see all this graphic violence in movies and then when they see you know an isis execution or a, a, a city in syria being bombed to oblivion they no longer care because they've seen this a million times already on the big screen uh you know in cgi and people don't understand how big of an effect uh these sort of images have on their psyche and on their general psychology and on the way that they perceive things I agree, and I also think the images are a kind of addictive as well. I mean, you not only get desensitized to it, but once you've seen something, you want to see more of it. So people will watch a horror film, and they will see a, what was once a gruesome kill where somebody takes a machete to someone, and it's slightly off camera, and blood spatters up against the wall. But then they'll be like, I want to see more. I want to see the machete actually go through them. And you're like, you want to see that? And then you have films like the Saw films, which they actually call torture porn, because those films are literally just a montage of hideous torture devices tearing people to pieces and they come out every Halloween and you have people literally baying crowds waiting for the next film so they can all discuss which one was the most gruesome kill oh did you see the one where his head was caught in a bear trap and these things are horrific and then you see what's going on in the real world and really the ISIS executions are, are kind of tame to what you see in a Saw film they, they're not as hardcore. Yeah, sure, somebody gets shot in the back of the head in the desert or somebody gets a machete taken to the back of their neck, but it's over relatively quickly. You know, they're not, they're not literally crawling over broken glass to get a key to take a bear trap off their face, which then rips their head in half. You know, but that's Hollywood. And it's like Hollywood's imagination is always one step ahead of what's in the real world. So things become normalized. And, and by extension, the terrorism we see, that's not as gruesome as what you see in Hollywood. And it's almost like these Hollywood moguls are conditioning Western people for the horrors that are to come. So you see something like Lee Rigby having his head cut off in broad daylight on a shopping day in the middle of a street in front of shoppers in the UK. And people are like, oh, oh, you know, and it doesn't shock them. It doesn't terrify them. And you're thinking to yourself, if I went back in time and spoke to people in the 1960s and said that, you know, by, you know, the, the early 2000s, you would have Muslims beheading soldiers in the, on the streets of Great Britain, people would be like horrified. But by today's standard, for most youngsters, that's probably quite tame. That's probably quite passe. And if you look at what these people are doing in computer games and watching on the big screen, oh my God. And another thing I have to add to this quickly is reality and fantasy becomes blurred for these children as well because they're not out in the real world. They're surrounded in these fantasy worlds where they indulge in these fantasies and they start to believe they're like a one of these characters. They start to identify with these characters. I've seen young people and they identify 
with bizarre creatures. Now, it's all it's all well and good to have a joke, to walk down the street and say, oh, look, I've got my, my Bane t-shirt on or whatever, look at the size of me or something like that. But to actually start believing you're a vampire or to believe you're some kind of supernatural creature, and you do see this. I mean, I was just in Leeds the other week, and there was a bunch of those furry freaks marching through the center of Leeds in their perverse fur costumes, calling for furry rights. I mean, I was like, what's happening here what's happening here? You, and you literally and people are people are looking at them like oh, oh my god and they're marching through the center of a of a city calling for their own sexual rights and you're thinking to yourself oh my god i mean these people just need to be shipped off to some asylum somewhere and locked up in the key thrown away well an important thing that i want to add is it, there's been documented evidence now, and there's been a few books on it. I can't think of the ones off the top of my head. But the CIA is basically directly involved with Hollywood. Now, the CIA is a tool, it's a, a deep state tool to serve international banking interests, and they basically kill anyone that gets in the way of international banking interests. But what they also do is they disseminate propaganda through Hollywood. So we have a film like Zero Dark Thirty where the CIA was actually serving as an advisory sort of component to the creation of the film. And you start to wonder how many of these films have been CIA influenced. A lot of these films are getting some of their budget money from the CIA. And what are they doing here in Hollywood? Well, I think they're directing the narrative in a particular direction that serves their purposes. So Hollywood is a tool, it's an institution of propaganda. You just look at some of the films that Steven Spielberg has made, and you gotta go, come on, come on, you guys are you guys are jerking me around. How stupid do you think I am? So we gotta be really clear on what it is that people are experiencing when they go to the cinemas. They're they're putting themselves in a basic condition of alpha wave agreement, where they can then be splashed over with multicultural propaganda and whatever propaganda the the CIA deems fit. For sure. And just uh, to add on to Mark's point of, you know, the increasing uh, exposure to gore, uh, essentially, I mean, I see this as, uh, as you know, sort of a narcotic effect. You know, uh, if, if you take a drug, uh, eventually you're going to start being used to that drug. You're no longer going to experience, uh, you know, the, the effects of that drug. So you're going to increase the dosage of it. And that's exactly what's going on. Uh, you know, in the entertainment industry, you know, they'll put out, like Mark said, uh, you know, a movie in the 80s that will barely show, you know, a spl splatter of blood. And then people will say, well, I mean, you know, we need to see more and more and more. And then they'll start making these torture films like Saw uh, or like Hostel, where it's absolutely all in your face with vivid detail. And I mean, we see this on various social media platforms, even going back to, you know, these uh, these so-called models on Facebook and, and on Instagram, you know, uh, they'll take a photo of themselves in a bikini for a few weeks, and then they'll notice that their likes haven't gone up, so they'll start they'll start exposing more and more nudity, and you know, within a few months, they're completely nude on Facebook, and now this is this is this is becoming the new norm, and then you have these morons at the same time who are supporting them saying how it's liberating for them how it's empowering for them when in fact all they're doing uh essentially is degrading themselves for for shallow likes and for shallow followings yeah i sometimes wonder tara was talking about how she's getting into serial killing investigation kind of research stuff and i wonder if she could explain more of this but i was 
just thinking the other day, did we see this kind of crime that we see now? Not even to do with multiculturalism, but just like in general. Did we see this kind of crime back in the 20s? Were people as desensitized back then? I don't think they were because I remember studying a film that was done like maybe, I think, back when film was first coming out, like 1920s, 30s, something like that. And one of the characters came out on screen with a gun. And people in the movie theater ran out of the movie theater because it felt so real to them. And it was so shocking to see someone coming out and pointing a gun at the screen. They split from the movie theater they were sitting in. So it just makes me wonder, um, as far as the desensitization that is taking place, the standards have dropped so low that you see something so violent on screen and it doesn't scare people anymore. So as you said, people see an execution from ISIS on TV and they're just kind of like, oh, a gunshot? Well, that's not too brutal. That's not that bad. It just doesn't face them anymore unless it actually happens to them. I was living uh, in the Rocky Mountains back during the Aurora shooting and I happened upon a gentleman one day who had been in that theater and he said that he can't go to gore movies anymore because he'd actually seen it happen. He'd actually seen the blood, he'd seen the gore. He saw someone next to him get um, shot in the head and that made it real for him. Whereas just seeing it on a screen, he was desensitized to it, didn't matter to him much, but actually seeing it in the flesh tends to change people a little bit and they don't realize the reality of that graphic violence until they see it in person. Yeah, I just want to add to that. Um, obviously, we're talking about the normalization of murder and torture, but also rape. I mean, you know, we used to hang people for, for raping someone. Uh, nowadays, it's like, you know, some of these Muslims are just walking away with like 40 hours community service, you know. So it's, uh, I feel as though, I, I, th I feel this is actually a case selected versus our selected thing. You know, it used to be, that uh, men were very much protective of women and that was very clear, you know, the boundaries, like are you married or not? If not, it's rape kind of thing. Um, and now those boundaries aren't so clear. And uh, somehow we're just coming to accept, oh, you know, one million underage girls are estimated not only to have been raped by Muslim gangs, but to have been subsequently drugged and prostituted often for years, often including see, having to service 40 men a day, often including being tortured, having their tongue nailed to a table for, for having spoken to someone about it, having their family threatened uh, with death, etc. And uh, response from the British police, arrest the parents for trying to intervene. You know, this is the kind of thing we're seeing. Um, and it's 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 like all of morality just got turned on its head over the past hundred years. Indeed, it has. And we have talked extensively, obviously, tonight about violence. And that is a nice segue because I am about to talk about a different kind of violence. And the violence I'm going to be talking about is political violence. Because today is November the 3rd which logically means tomorrow is November the 4th, as that's the way calendars work. And tomorrow, we all know that Antifa are having their day of revolution. Tomorrow is the day they have set to bring about the end of the Donald Trump regime. Tomorrow is the day where Antifa have boldly stated they are going to take to the streets 
and bring America to its knees. And I've even seen one of them, I, I should have screen capped this because I, I actually saw one of them make the bold statement that essentially tomorrow is the day. And if you're still aligned with Trump, if you've been aligned with Trump, if you've, if you've said anything positive about Trump, Tomorrow is the day you better watch out because the doors are going to be going through. People are being dragged out. This is the revolution. And there's something I want to, before I put this out to the panel, there's something I want to mention about this. Now, in the UK, there was a group that was made a terrorist group called National Action. They were made a terrorist group because they basically, on their website, put up a statement that more or less condoned actions of somebody who was mentally ill that killed a member of parliament. Now, that was obviously the wrong thing to do. I don't condone murdering members of parliament. I don't condone endorsing that. And I don't think condone what that group did. But they never actually committed a terrorist act. And here you have a group, Antifa, that are literally stating their aims and objectives for the 4th of November are to drag out Trump supporters or anyone who's had anything to do with endorsing the Trump regime and murder them in the street. These people are endorsing anarchy, terror, and genuine hatred. And that hatred will be aimed at white. And then you have to start asking yourself the question, don't you? Is it really about killing or is it about who you're killing and who you're threatening to kill? Because when people threaten the white population, when people threaten white nationalists and patriots, it doesn't seem to matter. So tomorrow, we've seen this on the calendar, they're calling for a day of carnage, they're calling for the end of the Trump regime, and they're calling for violence on the street. And this is one of the reasons why I respect people like Ivan, because he's ready, he's tough, he goes to the gym like me, he's all about physical improvement. And tomorrow may be a day when you have to defend yourself. And believe me, these days will become more frequent. These people will be emboldened because, again, our enemies in Hollywood are telling them what they are doing is correct. And I'm putting this out to the panel for anyone who wants to speak on this issue. What are people doing, especially those in the States, as means of self-protection? And how far is this going to go? How far are these people going to go before the government actually acts because to me these people are endorsing terrorism they're threatening terrorism and they are threatening extreme acts of violence to white people who want their own self-determination um i honestly don't think that antifa will do anything big uh i mean they're they're mostly all talk nowadays because they realize that their movement is completely losing momentum globally uh you know they've lost even though they've never even had any credibility uh so i think it's all talk and it's all hype and it's all to feed into this uh anti-white propaganda of course and this racial baiting that has been um, on the rise, especially in the last few months. You know, how many instances of this sort of high-profile racial baiting have made the mainstream news in the last few months? It's ridiculous. Everything from uh, Take a Knee to, of course, the Vegas shooter being uh, being a white man, etc., etc. So 
we're, we're, we're in these times right now where more and more of this uh, sort of divisive tactic being employed by the media. Of course, as we know, you divide first and then you conquer a people that is divided. Is, is is a people that is uh, that is weak and easily conquered. So that's what we're seeing with Antifa right now. You know, the the left and especially the the mainstream media is is feeding into them, actually trying to feed into these anti-Trump sentiments and this the the uh, sort of demonization of Trump that is still unfortunately going on. So I personally think that tomorrow, you know, we may see little uh, localized uh, and little pockets of protests uh, across the world. But I honestly don't think it's going to be anything major. I think it's just Antifa essentially doing this for show and uh, and for attention. I said, I, I mean, I really don't believe that this movement uh, is is going to make any kind of significant impact. I have to agree with that. I mean, when I look at Antifa, I see a bunch of skinny guys who don't go to the gym, and they always have to resort to using things like mace on women or a steel pipe or something. So they're not really, obviously not in good shape. They always have to resort to using weapons. I hadn't even heard about this until just now. I'm kind of surprised by it. I think Antifa are completely demoralized. And if they do end up taking to the streets and just attacking Whitey, Honestly, the best weapon you can have on you is your camera and to film it and put it out there online. And whenever people come out saying that uh, whites have it so easy, you can't be racist toward white people, put that out there. Even if you go to these rallies and you run into Antifa, the best weapon you can have on you is a body cam because that's how we win in court. And we have a body cam. We show what these people are doing. Good point, Bree. Um, yeah, I actually just uh, wanted to sl slight caveat when you said uh, divide and conquer, um, squatting slab. That reminded me that so often I get these. Um, often they're kind of like Trump supporters, kind of sometimes conspiracy theorists, this kind of people. Maybe Alex Jones fans, and they'll say to me, um, you know, we must unite. You know, uh, cross races, etc. Because this is we can't let them divide us. This is the elite's plan to divide and conquer us. And I'm curious what Mark has to say on that. I mean, what would you say to one of those, um, maybe an Alex Jones fan saying, this is the elite's plan. They're race baiting. They're, they're trying to make us in fight with each other. Um, we, we have to unite like uh, across races, across ethnicities, across religions in order to beat the globalists? I'd say, Alex Jones, you really need to stop taking those super male vitality pills. They have no effect whatsoever. But then I'd say, to answer your point, that that is the biggest load of nonsense I've ever heard. I actually heard Alex Jones give the most cringy talk the other day where he actually said, we're getting more and more people of color at our rallies. And, and I think it'd be great if they were the majority at our rallies because basically all that matters is that these people are on our side and we don't want to divide. What are you talking about? You literally want to become a minority? A minority in your own country? I don't understand this. Now, to me, when they say 
the globalists want to divide and conquer. They're trying to, they're trying to split us apart. They're trying to cause these racial divides. Absolute nonsense. The globalists are trying to force everyone together. They're the ones behind mass immigration. This was never a multicultural society. The West was never multicultural. Britain wasn't multicultural. France wasn't. Germany wasn't. The West has only become multicultural over the last 50 years because of the internationalists, because of the globalists. They bring these people here to cause division because a homogenous society is a society that works, a society where people look the same, dress the same, act the same, speak the same language, where people have shared cultures, a shared heritage, shared traditions. That's a society that works. That's what builds a high trust society, a society where people can leave their doors unlocked, a society where everyone knows their own neighbors, where they all relate to one another. That's a society that works. A society that doesn't work is a society that is diverse, that's full of thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds and thousands, millions of immigrants, all with different cultures, all with different languages, all with different ways of life, all with different goals who speak differently, look differently, and want society to be different. It's that melting pot that is destroying us. And that's the globalists' goal, because the globalists want to do away with us. They want to do away with us by making us multicultural. The globalists aren't trying to divide us. We were never together in the first place to be divided. They're the ones that have pushed us together. And people pushing this nonsense are just shills. And when I see them shilling this absolute crap, it boils me inside. I don't. I'm unashamed. I'm not ashamed to say this. I want a homogenous white society. I want to live in a high trust, high IQ world where we all know each other's names and we're all united. And we can never do that under multiculturalism. Now, if you take a city like Bradford, just down the road from where I live, and the street signs are in other languages, where the predominant language in schools is not English. That's not a division that has been caused because globalists are forcing us apart. That's a division that's been caused because globalists have pushed us together and brought people to our country who aren't like us, who can't assimilate, don't want to assimilate, but in fact want to culturally dominate us. So when I see people like Alex Jones talk about this, I shake my head because I have to ask myself the question, whose agenda is he playing to? What end goal does he want? Because if the end goal for him is a rally full of people who are no longer white, well, that's not the same goal as I'm playing to. And, I, and believe me, Alex Jones wouldn't come on his show and say, my end goal is for Nigeria to be a white country. So why should his end goal be for European countries to be non-white? Because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And believe me, 
What I've said isn't racist. The world's a big enough place for us all to live in it. But true diversity is us living in our own countries, our own lands, trading with one another, learning from one another, maybe visiting each other for holidays. But it's not living in each other's back pockets and creating a multicultural tinderbox, which will end up erupting in problems and ultimately leading to the genocide of the indigenous European people. Mark, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, the thing that I wanted to add is that, yeah, the globalists are lumping us all in together. And so I guess you can be, you know, we are the world about this sort of thing. You join up and hold hands and together we'll fight. And I, I guess that's kind of useful in some ways, uh, rhetorically speaking, because it plugs into the programming, this multicultural pr programming that we've been infected with over the last 70, 80 years. So in that way, I think tactically it can be a smart thing to uh, push back against the globalists that way. But ultimately, we are being pushed in together. And, you know, this is not the natural course of things. It's it's the big government world that we're living in. So we want to hold a fair amount of skepticism to people that, you know, this is a troublemaker, Millennial Matt. I don't know if you guys have heard of Millennial Matt, but he called into InfoWars and he just started drilling them on some, uh, you know, let's say World War II events. And they got so triggery. They just were like, Jack Posobiec and, and Owen Troyer were just like, oh, they were just freaking out. And I think that there's an element in the alt-light of not being willing to uh, have intellectual courage to pursue the arguments and the evidence to some of the more interesting and juicy conclusions that some of the people in the alt-right have. So let's not suspend our judgment for the sake of these people that want to have the slave mentality and this frankly, rather unambitious attitude uh, toward the globalists. I do want to eradicate the globalists, and sure, we can use all the allies we want, but this isn't just so that we'll have a multicultural society thereafter. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, I think, uh, how Mark put it earlier, that uh, ethnic component. And we've talked about this on our other show, All Right 101, where Mark goes on about the white race is the only race that's really in the way as far as the globalists being able to have this monoracial society. They're the most high IQ, creative type of people out there with the skills to really innovate. Therefore, they're the biggest threat. And that's the thing that you can't say to these InfoWars guys. You can't put forward that idea. I've heard Alex Jones say on his show, well, I don't care if people want to come in here as long as they're good gun-loving Americans and they love that constitution. Well, sorry, but voting demographics have proven again and again and again that the people who value those things are white people. Like in our previous show, how Tara said she was kind of laying low on the vegan propaganda because she understood that it was whites who care about that type of thing. If people really want a better environment and they believe in uh, conserving energy and all that stuff, those are things that tend to be white innovations. Those are things that white people really care about. And those that get in the way of the globalist plans and the alt-light are always wanting to bring in these other people. I think they're honestly, it's fear. They're scared. They just want to be like, okay, you're one of us. It's okay, come to our country. You can learn to be one of us. But the more and more time goes on, the more we see that these people cannot and do not assimilate. Look at the attack that just happened. God, which one was it? Was it, uh, Mark and I talked about it, where the gentleman was a second generation here and he still committed an attack. Mark, which, uh, which terrorist attack was that? 
that was the Manchester terror attack. It was the one at the Ariana Grande concert. His parents were Libyan refugees. So basically, this is the this is the full story, and this is the absurdity of multiculturalism and diversity. We took in his refugee parents. We gave them a home. We fed them. We clothed them, and we gave them benefits money. They had a son who was birthed in one of our hospitals, and the NHS paid for that. We then educated this boy. We sent him on holidays abroad. We gave them money, and I believe he went back to Libya, and he came back here, and he murdered young girls. Now, we were told the lie of integration, that when these kids were born here, they'd be just like us. He'd be playing with his Super Nintendo, and he'd be, well, probably not, he's a bit, bit old, bit young for that, but he'd be playing with his PlayStation. He'd be, you know, watching the Hollywood films. He'd be eating his sweets, going to the cinema. He'd be just like us. No, he's not just like us, because he was walking into an Ariana Grande concert, strapped with explosives, and blew a load of young girls to pieces. Integration is a lie. It's a myth. It's something that's sold by people like Alex Jones to bring us our doom. And I can attest to that living here in the Deep South. There are entire neighborhoods that are just Hispanic. There's an entire neighborhood that's just Polish. I don't have so much of a problem with them for obvious reasons, but there are entire neighborhoods that these people take over so they never have to learn the language. They never have to assimilate in schools with other people who are natives to their to the countries they're coming to. They have their own laundromats that they go to. They own their own businesses. They don't give business to outsiders. So yeah, you can just go to some of these neighborhoods that are just completely ethnically Mexican. And you can see that assimilation is a lie. And just to jump in really quickly, these alt-light guys that bring in, you know, they bring in the minorities and it's this, this, you know, I think it's effective on, on some levels, but I also think psychologically there's this thing happening where they're happy to give away their heritage. And then the, alt, the alt-lighters, the ones that they bring in, they bring in, oh, we, oh, if we could just get a Muslim with a MAGA hat. If we could just get a Muslim with a MAGA hat showing up on InfoWars, that would be golden. And the thing is that these people, these, uh, I forget, Jay, Jay Faza that works for the Rebel TV, these people, the, the West isn't their heritage. And so they're all too happy to have big hearts and just give away the West via immigration. But so long as they're going for the Constitution, hey, it's good optics. Yeah, I'll just add on to uh, on to what Mark was speaking on previously. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, where uh, the globalists are pushing people and trying to, you know, uh, create this false sense of unification. Um, but at the same time, don't forget that they're also exploiting uh, all of these differences between people uh, against whites, essentially. You know, they're bringing in cultures completely incompatible with western values you know that's why we're seeing massive and uh, artificial uh, immigration from africa from you know these third world countries uh, islamic countries that are completely ass backwards brought on to some of the most nations in the world you know western nations specifically so uh, while they are you know, pushing to unify everyone at the same time, uh, they are doing it selectively 
so that they can later manipulate the differences between people and essentially use them against whites because they know that these people are constantly going to be dependent on government intervention and this kind of big government obviously always goes against uh you know conservatives like us or anyone else that's you know that that knows anything about identity politics and they're really not against identity politics for all their talk of identity politics is a tool of the left it's poisonous we should never use it how fast were all these groups to snap up people like red pill black how fast are they to oh my god there's a new youtuber who's hispanic and he's conservative oh my god we have this really based rwandan who loves being an american we have this canadian who's from iran and oh my god he loves being canadian bring him on they jump at that so fast so for people who claim to hate identity politics they love it when they get somebody who's of another ethnic group who agrees with them so yeah it's a lie they don't want to play the identity politics game because they use those people to try to bring in more ethnic minorities to hear their ideas yeah, these people are total cooks. You see, they do believe in identity. They believe in identity for everyone. The only people they don't want to grant identity to is the white man. And that is what sickens me. You see, they love to create this sort of myth of everyone having this wonderful culture and wonderful oh look at the latino heritage you know they've got sombreros and tacos and burritos oh look at the african heritage oh how how deep and wonderful that is let's have black history month yet the ones with the greatest culture the ones with the most broad heritage and the most wonderful traditions the ones who revolutionized the world who pioneered everything that makes our life so rich and brought us high culture high art the most wonderful classical music the greatest poetry the greatest writers and we're the ones being written out of history we're the ones being written out of history and the irony is they're writing us out of history from their smartphones and their tablets and their laptops the very things we created and pioneered and the very things they rely on they talk about white supremacy well here's this antifa throw your smartphone out the window go to africa and live with them in their villages live in harmony with these people and leave us with our high culture because i love that high culture and i want it to stay on its pedestal because that is where it belongs and the people who buy into this white guilt and hate the magnificence of their own ancestors are the lowest of the low because believe me i don't hate black people in fact i appeared on a podcast the other week with a couple of black people who agreed with me on political correctness who agreed with me it was actually a black guy who was saying, I don't like the race mixing being pushed in Spider-Man Homecoming because it's wrong. It's wrong. Why does every couple have to be a black person with a white person? Why is Hollywood pushing? And they were openly saying this because, believe me, people who want a true sense of identity want to embrace their culture, their way of life, and their people. And they know that we're all happier from a distance we're all happier living to living with our own people and learning from each other trading being friends but not living in the same house 
And that is the best way for us all. And we need to embrace our identity and our culture and our heritage and our traditions. Throw away individualism because individualism is a lie. It's a nonsense that was created for white people because we're the only people they push it on because they know ultimately it is our death. Reject white guilt and say, I'm proud to be white. It's not just okay to be white. It's great to be white. I love my ancestors. I love my culture and I love everything they did, not just for me, but for the world. Because believe me, that people is the ultimate red pill. Well, Mark, just what you were saying with individualism, I mean, I want to jump in on that. Millennial Woes made a really incredible rebuttal to Sargon of Kakad, and he was basically saying that Sargon is arguing within a 19th century paradigm. He's appealing to this classical liberal individualism that actually rose out of racial homogeneity in the West. So if we wanna if we wanna have individualism, actually we need a bit of uh, in-group out-group morality, and I guess you could call that collectivism. So let's not be too autistic and go, well, my based individualism, and sort of erase all notions of in-group out-group when nobody else outside of whites is doing this. Hello, wake up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, I think. Um, you know, one of the biggest problems for whites is, uh, you know, this lack of pride and this lack of nationalism and also at the end of the day, this lack of, uh, you know, tribalism as well. We have these soy boys essentially within Antifa who, who are so full of white guilt because their whole lives they're felt, they're essentially uh, fed these Marxist communist lies about you know how the uh, white man is the oppressor about how the white man is the colonizer and how the white man essentially uh you know enslaved the world and destroyed the world the white man is the the one that created all of these fascinating and uh, and genius and beautiful things so that's something that we really have to uh work on eliminating is that sense of uh of white guilt and that's specifically why groups like Antifa are so dominant in places like Germany, because we know that in Germany, uh, you know, this is all the way up here. You know, they're, they're, they feel guilty for for their entire uh, for their entire histories, and this has been greatly exploited to the German people. Indeed, yeah, I've experienced that firsthand with Germans um, when I met. I met some Germans and because I I said, oh, I'm um, I'm part German and basically got into conversation about why my great-grandma fled Germany because she was half Jewish and uh, her dad ended up dying in Auschwitz. So no one could call me a Holocaust denier because <laughs> I have the death certificate. But yeah, and they were just like uh, really upset and like apologizing to me and wanting to give me a hug and everything. And I was like, hey, it's... It's fine. It's totally not your fault. You didn't do anything. Goodness. Um, but yeah, I can tell that is definitely, you know, really drilled into these Germans that they're evil people from a young age by the horrible socialist school system. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say regarding the it's okay to be white meme 
that Paul came up with, 4chan came up with this idea of just posting these posters saying it's okay to be white. And it is so um, satisfying <laughs> to see how triggered like the leftists are and the boomers are and the cucks are. You know, when I was putting out these memes, like it's okay to be white, I was getting boomers saying like, responding to me like, it's better to be human. <laughs> you know, they really can't stand it when you say it's okay to be white. So um, I find it very interesting to see that kind of programming being triggered. And I think that perhaps, I don't know, but I, I feel like this meme is particularly good for showing sane people how insane it is to react uh, in such an irrational way to to such a simple statement as it's okay to be white. I think it'll really help a lot of normal people out there, people out there to realize that uh, the odds are stacked against them, people being racist toward whites. When they see the reaction that people have, exactly like you said, they're going to be like, whoa, whoa, that's a bit of an overreaction. Well, what do you, what do you say is wrong about being white? And then the onslaught will just come on to them. But as far as what you were saying about German shame, I've experienced this. I have some German in me, and I just brought it up to a friend once who was Dutch, and she immediately was like, ew, you might not want to tell people that. I was living in England at the time, and she just flat out told me, don't tell people you're part German. And I found that repulsive because I wanted to go to Germany. I never got the chance, but I wanted to go and see the old township where some of my ancestors were from because they came over back in like the 1600s. They came here way early. And I didn't understand until much later that the Germans carried so much shame. And I had a foreign exchange student in high school who was the same way. And she was from Germany. And whenever people wanted to ask her questions about what was going with her and her hometown, she didn't even want to speak on it. She kind of just wanted to forget about it. I'm German, but it would always come with a but. I'm German, but I'm not like other people. Uh, we accept what happened. We feel quite bad. There, there was a sense of guilt that always came with that. So the German shaming thing, it's really real. Well, I think the it's okay to be white posters. I've done a couple of graphics as well. So feel free to take them off my Twitter. I'm not one of these people who's precious about them. You know, so if you want to take them and use them, you know, feel free to. I've done two. One with a, uh, a white female and one with a white mother and child with just it's okay to be white superimposed over them. So I put one of the links in the, uh, in the chat. So feel free to grab them. But I think this is one of our most powerful um, tools we've ever created because it's the most mild thing to say you could possibly say. Now, the only people that will be triggered by this, and this is, this is, I'm going to use the horrible word here. This is good optics. And that's the only time I'm going to say, I'm, that's the only time I'm going to say the banned word tonight. <laughs> but believe me, it is good because it's the most mild thing you can say. You're just saying, look, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with being white. And anyone that takes offense at that is gonna look a fool. Anyone that overreacts, anyone that goes crazy, anyone that loses their mind and says it's not okay to be white will offend the vast majority of normal white people. And this is what it is to box clever. This is good marketing, this is a good strategy, and this is what we want to use. And I don't just wanna see posters getting put up. I want to see 
people printing giant five meter by three meter banners and dropping them down abandoned buildings. I want to see motorway bridges covered by 10 meter by two meter banners. I want to see people going up on the side of hills and carrying stones up there and laying them out so it says, it's okay to be white. So when everyone wakes up and looks up at the hill on the sunrise, like, oh my God, it's okay to be white. I want to see everyone doing this. I want to see this being pushed so hard and I want to see those being tr those who are triggered by it being demonized for the anti-white, guilt-ridden freaks they are. Because this is how we can expose people for the anti-white racists they are. This is how we can push back. This is exactly what we've been talking about. White civil rights, not in a cooked way, not where we make ourselves out to be victims, not where we roll over and cry, but in a sensible way where we can assert we are happy to be white, it's okay to be white, and we can stand by that. And anyone that opposes us on this line or cooks out, they need to be pushed to one side because this is the best piece of propaganda I've seen in years. Well, whites have a right to exist. And this talk of optics and this okay to be white, it's really, we're saying we're no longer going to allow our heritage and our existence as a people to be washed over. We have attended to so many of the needs of people in Africa. We have attended to so many of the needs of people in India. We have attended, we have attempted to attend to the needs of so many people, but our own. And it's time to start being proactive about our Western civilization with appeals to empathy for white people. So if you, you think of this film that's been popular these days, uh, Blade Runner 2049, though I haven't seen it, you can think back on its prequel or the original Blade Runner. It depicted a white man who was alienated from himself in a largely Chinese society, a largely Asian society. And this was powerful for people at a time because they, at the time, because they saw the demographic oncoming tide. It tied into something really deeply unconscious for them. And we have to understand that if we don't take a stand now, and if we aren't very explicit about whiteness and about the glories of our Western civilization, we will be pushed out by more dominant, uh, infectious, and um, widespreading narratives. And those will not be the narratives of white people. I also noticed that uh, a lot of these times when we do see, uh, you know, these uh, posters popping up, uh, most of the time, you know, especially when it has to do with with whites, most of the time we see, you know, black guys going around drawing these swastikas, and like they draw them, like they 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 completely misdraw them, or you know, they'll put up a poster which is literally a hit piece against uh, the alt-right. Just a few days ago, there was actually a big scandal here at the university in Canada uh, when a bunch of posters were found uh, essentially saying something like, we will, uh, we will stop those with the brackets uh, on the sides that want to end our heritage. And of course, there was a big fuss about these posters and at the bottom of the poster of uh, of of these alt-right channels on YouTube. So it seems like the person that made this putting in as many sort of anti-white symbols and cliche symbols and things against the alt-right as they possibly could 
Walter. Now, the question is, you know, why why is everyone freaking out about posters that say it's okay to be white when, you know, when you get black power and black pride groups that put up the same posters that say, you know, it's great to be black or it's, you know, these other minorities and, you know, oppressed groups that say it's great to be LGBT, this and that, and nobody freaks out. So why is there this entire stigma of, of you know, anti-whiteness anti that's, that's plaguing America and not this, uh, you know, stigma against these other minority groups that are essentially perpetuating themes and radical ideas through these posters and no one even bats an eye? Okay. And sorry for any uh, sound quality issues people are experiencing. I think uh, Mark just said in a private chat, we need to get you a Blue Yeti mic. Oh, you have one right now. Are you using it? Yeah. Must be broken. Oh, no. Gosh. Are you sure you've rooted the sound through the Yeti and turned the gain right down? Yeah, the because gain is clipping a bit. The gain on the blue yeti. You need to turn your gain right down to zero with a blue yeti. God, we've gone from we've gone from the best the best alt right marketing ever to how to set up your blue yeti. That is why this show absolutely rocks. And please, I don't ask this very often, but make sure you hit that like button and share this stream because the more likes and the more shares we get, the further this show goes. And it's important to spread the pills, the red pills, that is. So we've got some questions as well that have come in from people. Um, and here's a good one. This one's actually for Ivan and it is, what is your opinion of the alt-right in Serbia? Um, I think the... Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. Still a bit crackly. Perfect. Stupid Blue Yeti. Um, well, I think uh, the alt-right is sort of a newer phenomenon uh, in Serbia. I definitely see it as a movement that is uh, going to grow because Serbia is obviously a country, uh, you know, with a lot of pride and with a lot of nationalists, uh, you know, especially at the time when uh, the EU is essentially trying to get us to, uh, to sell our souls. Um, so I think that that is definitely a movement that can catch fire there because we already have a perfect foundation for this but uh in serbia the biggest problem i see is the the media censorship because there's essentially a complete media blackout going on there and there are there are a lot of you know nationalist political parties which can never even get you know a second of radio play or or uh or tv time because of this massive massive media blackout yeah and of course we're seeing that all over Europe, Australia, US, and unfortunately, of course, um, as we learned last week in in South Africa, it's got to the point where whites are only 8% of the population and basically their vote means nothing. They are basically tax slaves for Africans. And that is the future ahead of us if we don't turn things around. I agree, but we have some more questions from the audience. And um, this is a interesting question. We've not had one of these 
questions before. Um, and I'm going to open this up to the panel first, and I'll give my thoughts on afterwards. Um, question. I'm English. Do you think it's okay to marry a woman from a, from a foreign country if she is white? So that was from an audience member on marriage. And I'm going to throw that out to the only person in the group who is married, unless Ivan's married. But I think Stephen's the only one who's married. So what are your thoughts? No, Ivan's not married. Neither am I. Stephen, what are your thoughts? Okay, give me the question one more time. I didn't quite catch it. Um, the question was, I'm English. Do you think it's okay to marry a woman from a foreign country if she is white? Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, okay, okay, so let me be a little more, I'll talk a little bit. Uh, you know, you're going to have trouble in England because I think the women are of uh, lower quality there because of some public schooling and some globalist uh, propaganda that they've gone through and a lot of broken homes because the manufacturing base that did exist in the UK was shipped off due to all these trade agreements in the 60s and the 70s. So you may want to look at a more traditional one and uh, start to poke your nose around Slovenia, Slovakia, and the God Emperor himself, or Poland, or Hungary, or you know, these sorts of places. The God Emperor himself has a woman from Slovenia, Melania Trump, and she's going to be the one that sticks. So, you know, I say cast your net far and wide. Love, love could be in interesting places. So, but I, I am not really so much for miscegenation. I'm not for race mixing. I do say try to uh, keep it within your race. I actually have the opposite opinion of Steve here. I, I think that it's really worth looking for someone closer to home because it means that you've got your extended family on both sides, you know, so long as you're in good relationship with them, um, to support you in, you know, getting married and having a family. And I mean, it's it's great having your parents as free babysitters. That's kind of what they should be doing in their retirement, in my opinion. And um you know, you've got your childhood friends in the location you grew up in. Personally, I think that's very, very valuable um, when it comes to building community. You have an inbuilt community in the area that you grew up in and that your parents live in. And I think that's really the ideal situation. And I think it's quite unfortunate that people are so willing to move uh, simply in order to, you know, have a different um, climate, you know, weather climate to live in or you know just to um get a different job with a pay raise or something because it, it is quite horrible to see um you know you being uh, stripped away from your inbuilt community and you know i say this as someone I, where i grew up basically everyone's had to move away because um of the multiculturalism so my my community was stripped from me without a lot of choice in the matter really um so i don't even have the choice to make that but for those people who do i would say you know make it a priority to stay with your community and find someone um from nearby yeah this is something that i uh, i definitely agree with uh in fact i mean i got uh, banned off facebook a few months ago uh simply for writing this sort of am against interracial marriages. So Facebook banned me for this uh, post for a couple of days. I had a bunch of people block me and delete me on Facebook as well. But um, I mean, I myself, I'm Serbian, and you know, when I when I when the time does come to marry, which 
should be very soon because you know I'm, I'm 28 I'm almost 30 uh, I should be you know having kids very soon I'm definitely going to settle with uh, with a Serbian girl I find that you know if you marry someone from your country and from your culture as well it's uh it's a lot easier there is you don't have to compromise as much you don't have to neutralize things is going to be on the same level of understanding and uh and sort of have the same outlook on many things whereas you know if um european descent if you marry someone uh you know another european there's still going to be that compromise you know there's going to be the language barrier which is obviously pretty big unless you know unless you both speak english but then at the end of the day uh you know chances are that your children are are you know they're they're not really going to have a set culture at the end of the day they're going to be you know this mix of course it's great they're still going to look white but i you know i'm i'm sincerely all for the preservation of of culture and that's that's a main reason that i'm sort of against interracial marriage as well it's because i want my children to look like me i want my children to have a similar outlook to me and uh yeah i noticed that you know a lot of uh, a lot of people a lot of these cucks on the right have a thing for thing for asian women and i think uh that's primarily because of the fact that you know they perceive asian women as um as sort of you know they they assert these more sort of roles and you know asian women themselves they want to step out of these things in the west they want to step out of the traditional roles so they go for these cocked white guys uh but at the end of the day you know china with uh you know a couple billion people can afford to lose some people serbs especially i'm speaking from my perspective we have seven million people you know we really can't afford to lose that many people we need to procreate and reproduce with more serbs otherwise we're going to be extinct within the next couple thousand years and this goes for for most for most of these western countries that have declining and plummeting birth rates also, keep in mind that if you do live in England and you marry somebody who's like from France or Germany or wherever, one of you is going to have to move. One of you is going to have to give up your culture for the other ones. You'll end up having two Christmases, two sets of grandparents. One's going to be far away and you're robbing them of the opportunity of being able to see their grandkids grow up because they're going to have to spend money on a plane ticket to be able to come see you. I've seen this happening, especially in the U.S., where people have to move across the country just to be able to get a job. That is a reality that I've had to face with uh, my family. A particular city has just supported various entities that my parents worked in a little bit better and they had to move and strip us of that community, strip us of our friends, strip us up from those uh, school districts so we couldn't really make those connections. And when you marry someone from a different culture, you are potentially robbing your children of that opportunity and you're robbing one side of the grandparents from being able to come in and babysit and to see you to see their grandkids grow up so so many people have this attitude i gotta get out of this small town i gotta go to the big city and prove myself all you're doing is robbing yourself of making good connections with people nearby you having your youth torn away from you as far as working some job where you'll be paid for your your labor at a very low low wage and it robs you of being able to make those connections i would suggest trying to build those connections where you are if you particularly like your community and that's where your family is and pick a girl 
from close by if you possibly can find her because you know you're going to have potentially family nearby and you won't have to have two Christmases. You won't have to travel all the time. It's been an extortionate amount on an airplane ticket. People don't tend to think about those kind of things. Well, as it's become a bit of a running joke on this show, my complete inability to uh, settle down and get married, you know, I'm probably not the best person to be talking about this. <laughs> but my perspective is the following. Number one, and I don't want to see any of this, zero. These cooks on the alt light that literally fawn over women like roaming millennial, get that out of your system. Get that out of your system. That is the cringiest thing I've ever seen. These guys who think the only way they can get a traditional wife is to go to East Asia. Nah, nah, don't do that. It's pathetic. Also, if you're one of those guys who's constantly on a roaming millennials um, YouTube and you're putting in the feed how wonderful she is and how you completely reject the alt, alt right, you do realize that she isn't going to sleep with you because you've wrote that comment on her YouTube, she will probably just think you're a complete cook and want you to donate to her. So, you know, you're never getting with her. And if you think you are, you think you've got a special connection with her because she gave one of your little comments, one of those little hearts and upvoted it, then you're a real loser. And to be honest, you need to be trampled under my boot. And the next point is if you're going for a woman, I really understand what these girls are saying. I mean, uh, despite my complete inability to meet a partner, um, you do need to have someone you've got something in common with. And my biggest thing is having, um, you know, is having something where you've got that connection. And when I say you've got that connection, you need everything with someone. You need um, a mental connection. You need to, have to talk to them. You need a spiritual connection and you need to be physically attracted to them. And I find in the UK, a lot of women, sadly, it's very hard to connect with them because they're often interested in things that are completely different to things that we would be interested in. And I think if you do go abroad for somebody, make it Eastern Europe, make it someone who is traditional, someone who will support you in your patriotic or nationalistic activity. Because when you see these big marches in Poland or anywhere in Eastern Europe, there are many attractive women on these marches. It's the same with uh, women from Russia. They, they will really um be sort of on your side and they will have your back whereas when you try and explain this to a lot of um british women they're actually you know put off by the fact you're patriotic not because they don't believe in it i mean i've spoken to lots of women who agree but they're actually a little bit scared to be with somebody who espouses it who talks about it who who wants to have it front and center and actually fight for their people because they believe it might hold them back in some way and i've also met you know british women who are just obsessed with things like the kardashians and x factor and there's only so long you can sit over a dinner table hearing about who got booted off x factor or what happened on coronation street before you have to you know basically slice your own throat with the butter knife just to get out of that horrible situation and that is that is literally how you feel when you listen to the junk that a lot of women in the western world talk about so i think it's a very difficult situation and i think as long as you stick with inside your race and as long as you meet somebody that holds those traditional nationalistic values i think that's a good thing to be um, built on. They have to want children and they have to crucially want to bring those children up in a traditional manner. Now, that is another key thing. If you meet a girl and you think she's lovely and you think she's great, but she's not all right, she's not patriotic, and she's basically 
letting the TV be an unpaid babysitter and she wants your children to be watching that filth, that's a major red flag. So my big thing is whoever you go with, make sure it's the right person, make sure they believe in marriage, make sure they think marriage is for life, but mostly make sure they want children and they want to bring them up in the right way or you're headed for disaster. And by rushing into something with the wrong person, you might end up facing far more problems further down the line than you will have short-term benefits of just being able to say you're married. Yeah, you know, I, I find it very unfortunate um, seeing so many black black-pilled guys on this topic, you know, who feel like, oh, they're never going to find anyone because women just don't understand and they're way too into the Kardashians, etc. Um, because, look, the truth of the matter is, if you look at POC women, they are all leftists, okay? But if you actually just look at the voting habits of white women, uh, you know, for example, in the US, 53% of white women voted for Trump, okay? And this was a guy who was demonized by the mainstream media, yet one in two women voted for him, uh, despite huge amounts of propaganda against him, despite them saying he was misogynistic, despite there being a woman running against him who they could have voted for who was supposedly pro-woman. Um, so I think you need to give women a little bit more credit you know, just a little bit. And I think that if you are, um, if you do see the fact that, you know, you know, they may not be alt-right, but sure, they're conservative, you know. I mean, that is pretty much, um, I, I would say, you know, good enough. You know, if you find someone who is a good person, they're conservative, maybe they don't pay a whole lot of attention to politics, um, but they voted Trump, you know, go for it like there's no reason they don't have to be like you know uh watching uh, hitler documentaries or something in order for you to to marry them i think they just need to be a, a decent person who um has an innate understanding of you know the values of traditionalism and that you will find in most conservative women so and i i want people to remember also i think a lot of women like i was previously are just apolitical they don't really pay any attention to politics. They're not really pushing either way. Um, and they'd probably adopt whatever your political views are anyway, you know, because they haven't really formed their own political perspective. They just kind of um, go along with the herd because that seems like what everyone else is doing. So yeah, I'd, I'd like to see more people um, white pilling on this a bit. And I think that if you do white pill on it, I actually think it's much more likely you're gonna find someone because you're going to be keeping your eyes open, you're going to be talking to more women, and you're not going to be instantly assuming that every single one of them are feminists, as I see so many guys doing, you know. Less than 20% of the female population identify as feminist. So it's actually rather unpopular to be a feminist nowadays. So don't go around assuming that every single one of them, you know, only wants to marry you to divorce you and fuck you over, because it's just not the situation, uh, no matter what the MGTOW people say. And I'll, I'll piggyback off of this and say, and I'll also piggyback off of something Bree said, and, and that's that let's not divorce our identities from geography. That's what the globalists want. They want us spread to the winds. They want us co cosmopolitan. So my wife is actually from the Pacific Northwest, and I'm from the Pacific Northwest going back several generations, and so is she. So we had an inbuilt empathy that we could relate to one another 
We could go to the mountains. We could go to the lakes. We knew what was going on in our neck of the woods. And we knew uh, for the tw previous 20 years what had been going on, uh, the history of our lands also told to us by our parents. And this factored in, and this helped us to overcome this big issue of her being a feminist. She was a feminist, okay? But we all, we all red-pilled, and that was a difficult process. So have some self-empathy. Remember back to your red-pilling process. Remember that it challenged you emotionally. It was difficult. And if you're not willing to take a woman through that process, brother, you are not going to reproduce. So buck up and get ready for the long haul because that's what it's going to take. The, the game is difficult. The quarry is elusive. But I think if you can give yourself a bit of a you know, a bit of a white pill and, and pick yourself up, as Tara said, I think that you'll have a lot more success with women. And I think for uh, uh, um, for a lot of the younger guys, you know, um, they have this idea in, in their head that they're going to marry these, you know, trophy wives who are going to be models, this and that. I can tell you, I mean, I'm not even married yet, but, you know, get yourself a girl that's that's going to cook for you at the end of the day, that's going to be able to clean the house as well, and not a girl that's going to spend, uh, you know, 24 hours a day on Instagram taking selfies with a newborn child. Uh, so, I mean, there's when, you, when it comes down to marriage, there's obviously going to be a lot of things that, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice but that's but that's just the way it is and i mean you know high standards for the for the person that you choose to marry but at the end of the day you really have to be realistic with yourself as well you know do you want someone that's you know all beauty no brains or someone that brings you know that and a lot more to the table as well and um my you know my thought on the entire marriage issue also if you're not willing to take the time to maybe give your girlfriend or future girlfriend teeny little red pills how in the hell are you going to red pill your kids so if anything think of it as good practice and just take it one little one at a time the first red pill i ever got was what is an sjw i didn't know what one was and now we kind of joke about SJWs, that being stuff that basic people talk about. And we want to hear hardcore politics and ideology. It's kind of old school. But you got to start somewhere. So, yeah, if you aren't willing to go out there and meet a girl that maybe needs some red pilling, but if you can't give her those little red pills and adapt that way, how the hell are you going to red pill your kids and give them the tools they need to protect themselves in a multi-culti society? So don't be afraid to take on a girl you like if she needs a little bit of work. Just consider it to be uh, a challenge. I agree with that, actually. There's, um, an, when you meet someone, if they have, first, they have to have what I call natural instincts. If they're a leftist and they have no natural instincts whatsoever, or their natural instincts are completely destroyed, then push them away, that's no good. But if they have those natural instincts, i.e. if they still want a strong man, if they still say they want children, if they say that children are more important than their career, if they say that family's important, then they're people you can work on and they're worth an investment of time. And believe me, 
the more time you put into them, the more you explain and the more you help them with these things, the more you will get back from them. And that, that's part of love. That's, the, that's, that's reciprocating. You, the more you put into a person, the more help you give them, the more attention you show them, and the more you red pill them, the more they will take that on and the more they will give you affection and the more loyalty they will show you. And that's a great relationship. And if you can show a woman that level of compassion, that level of knowledge, you will be something more to them. And there is real mileage in that. And I've seen guys who've gone out there and uh, they, they've met a girl who has been a bit lost. You know, they've had those natural instincts, but they've never met anyone who's allowed them to follow them through, who's allowed them to follow their natural path and their natural gender roles. And if you're the guy that does that, that girl will love you. She will look up to you and she will see you as a little bit of a hero. And I know guys that have met girls like that and they're now in really, really good relationships they're married they've got children and their wives do adore them you know and really there's a good message for you all there but if you want a good wife it goes back to what we've all been saying and what we said at the beginning of the show you have to be the best version of you you have to attract a good partner and if you're not confident if you're not in a good mental state yourself if you're not in a good physical state and if you don't love yourself you can't expect others to love you so really if you're going to get that special person first make you make sure you yourself are special and when you've got that when you've got that go and look for someone else and when you get that person, yeah, red pill them. And believe me, if you can red pill a woman, she will love you forever. And that's an important thing because remember, I do believe in the sanctity of marriage. And people say, well, why don't you have kids? Why haven't you settled down? Well, one of the reasons is I don't just want to settle down with anyone. I don't want my children growing up in a broken home. I don't want to have children with the wrong person. And in today's world, and I'm no MGTOW, I, I can't stand them but you have to make sure it's right. You have to make sure it's right. And you have to make sure you've got a future for that person because kids need a mum and a dad and they need a stable, loving relationship. That's what the West was built on. And that's something we have to be fighting for because to me, the nuclear family, the traditional family, is the building block, it's the cornerstone of Western civilization. And that's why I do take it so seriously, you know, and I think we should all take it seriously. And that's why everyone listening here tonight should put the achievement, that as an achievement, at the very top of their pedestal. That's the top of the ladder. That's what everyone should be reaching for. Because ultimately, we need to form those loving relationships. We need to set an example. And more than anything, we need to have lots and lots of beautiful white children. Okay, well, I think we're at two hours now. Um, so we might start wrapping up if that's what you all want to do. Unless we have something else to talk about. No, I think that brings us nicely to the close. And I just want to thank everyone for being here tonight. Um, most of all, thank you to the audience. You've been an absolutely fantastic audience. Make sure before you leave that you like and share because it really helps us in the algorithms. We're on again Wednesday night. Remember, it's twice weekly now. It's both Wednesday and Friday, um, same time each week. But we'll just go around the group and give everyone a chance to say goodnight and uh, um, tell us where we can find you all. We'll start with uh, Brie. I'm Brie Fache. You can find me on my YouTube channel, Brie Fache. I'm on Twitter at Brie underscore Fache. 
And also there's my website, briefforshade.com. Thank you, Bree. Stephen, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Bree's channel. I'm showing up here in a little bit with an interview. So That's airing later tonight, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you can find me on twitter.com slash Steve Franson. I'm just looking to cause trouble trying to strategic post over shit post. That's the learning that I'm doing these days. So you can come in and check that out. That takes some serious discipline, Steve. Mark, you're muted. <laughs> I found the mute button. Sorry, um, I was just going to say, uh, I just want to say a real special thank you to Ivan, Squatting Slav, for joining us tonight. He's been a fantastic guest. Um, and before we can say where we can, where we can all find him, I'd really like you to come on again. Um, obviously, we're going to have to crowdfund you a better Ethernet connection and potentially a USB cable. But where can we find you? And hopefully, you'll come on again because you've been a wonderful guest. I just wanted to thank you guys all for having me on the show. Um, you guys have probably seen me in the chat here on your other live streams. This is absolutely probably the, actually the only uh, live stream that I follow here on YouTube. So great group of people to everyone out there. Make sure you subscribe to them. Uh, probably some of the most underrated content creators on the alt-right uh, at this time. And I'm sure they'll, they'll grow and expand in the uh, months and years to come. Otherwise, you guys can find me on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash squatting slav TV official, uh, facebook.com slash squatting slav TV official, and twitter.com slash squatting slav TV official. Great. I'm really glad you could join us. Um, so, and thanks as well to Mark. Mark, uh, have you told everyone where to find your stuff? Yes, you can find me at, well, my Facebook. You can find me on my Twitter. Please feel free to take my It's Okay to Be White graphics. You can also find me on YouTube, my latest videos about how to beat depression and live a positive lifestyle. It's been fantastic to be here. And you can also download my book for free, of course. That's uh, The Fall of Western Man, and it's available from www thefallofwesternman.com. And if any of you watching tonight do happen to be 10 out of 10 alt-right glamour models, you can send your marriage application straight to Tara because she's vetting the flood of them for me. Oh, indeed I will. I will do that for you, Mark. Um, okay, thanks everyone for joining us today and we'll see you guys again on Wednesday. Bye-bye.